Right, hello everyone and welcome to Strictly Hoop Talk. As always, I'm your host Chris Platty. Hope everyone is doing well out there. For this very special episode, I got my go-to Lakers expert, my go-to guy, and that is Tim, aka Crancius McBasketball of the Basketball Index. Tim, how you doing? I'm I'm doing well, Chris. It's it's been a busy time of year. Lots of Laker news. I <laughs> probably for the first time in my life contemplated rooting for a different team. Um, they, I, I mean, it's it's a good time to be alive. Good good NBA time. Not a great time to be a Laker fan. Um, and and I, I'm guessing that's why I'm here. So yeah, it's there's there's a lot to talk about. A lot has happened since we last spoke. A lot has happened in the past like seven days. So it's. <laughs> Man, it's it's frustrating. We'll see. Hopefully, hey, the Lakers won the lottery, yay! And you can, if if they win the lottery tonight, you can you can throw that in there. Um, yeah. But if they don't win the lottery today, is going to be a not not a great week for the franchise. Yeah, not a great week at all, Tim. Uh, and like you said, man, so much has happened. I remember the last time I had you on the podcast, I said uh, we were talking about if Anthony Davis was going to be a Laker, which feels like seasons ago. <laughs> Yeah, man. And and now just in the last day or two, I've seen reports saying that the Lakers are going to do an all out push for Anthony Davis. I've seen other reports saying that they're not going to trade any of the young guys. And those two things don't make sense together <laughs> unless unless they're planning on trading LeBron for Anthony Davis. So it's there's just all kinds of nonsense happening. Nothing the team does makes any sense. I spend hours and hours researching coaches and putting together these recommendations and I wrote this whole big long thing about how you should conduct a coaching search, and I'm pretty sure they did zero of those like 20 things I listed. Um, <laughs> I wrote a here, you know, 32 coaches the Lakers could go after, and they picked some. They, the only people they went after were ones in like my tears of Tim wouldn't be happy or Tim would be big mad. So it's <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. I need to just start promoting poor decisions because I think that'll you know reverse the trend and, and get them doing things that work out. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Maybe go at this point. Go for it. Nothing's too. Nothing's too crazy to try. Um, let's start with. Let's start with. You know, the Lakers had the disappointing season. Obviously, thirty-seven and forty-five, missing the playoffs, uh, finishing tenth in the West, and then the last day of the season, Magic Johnson steps down out of nowhere. Like it's been so long since we've talked to him that we haven't even talked about this. So let's just start there. I mean, quickly. I mean. Just how surprised how surprised were you when that actually happened? I was very, very surprised, and I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, the fact that they had so many possible excuses to roll with for this year with the different injuries and a, new, a big new roster, first time with LeBron, LeBron was injured, Lonzo was injured, Ingram was injured. They could have given this some more time, fired Luke Walton, kept moving on in magic with the stature he has within the Lakers, not just the, the organization, but the, the Laker world, they would have given him plenty more years if he wanted them. Yeah. And the fact that he opted out of that and, and the reasons he seemed to be giving were just like, man, this isn't fun. I want to be able to go tweet <laughs> very generic tweets like, Oh man, the, the Warriors won today. Steph Curry is very good. <laughs> I hope they win again. Like, really, really dumb stuff. Um, I don't know. It, it was bizarre, but I'll take it. I feel like it was very unlikely to have happened, and I'm very pleased that it did happen. I, I'm not a big fan of 
Magic's basketball takes. I mean, he's he's a hero of mine. Uh, I mean, Michigan State and the Lakers all in one person. Uh, I met him in person one time, and it was just a, a different aura. And, like, I've been around players. I've been around coaches. Being in the room with Magic Johnson is something different. Um, and he, I'm really glad that he's no longer somebody I'm not very happy with, and he can just <laughs> go back to being that former player, you know, overcoming the adversity he's overcome in his life. But it was just not working out. And I think Laker fans everywhere should be breathing a sigh of relief. Or at, at the time, they should have been breathing a sigh of relief. Um, we, we've, we've got a, quite a timeline between that day and today. So, so maybe not so happy today. But at that time, it seemed like it would be a move in the right direction. Hopefully replace him with somebody who has some sort of real experience, real knowledge. Um, and getting somebody out of there who probably could have stayed for years wasted all of LeBron's years with the Lakers and left the franchise franchise and not such a great place. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you say that about the cachet of, of magic. Like you said, magic is one of those people that he, he in Laker world, he exists with, with anonymity, right? He can do pretty much no wrong. He would have several attempts and clearly it wasn't really working out that well. I mean, I always thought that he didn't necessarily need to be on the Lakers' payroll. He could just be the guy who shows up for meetings and tries to recruit star players like he supposedly wants to do. And maybe, you know, after time healing the wound, uh, time healing the wound of, of just the abrupt exit, maybe that's something he could step back into. And, you know, that was kind of the only thing that I semi-bought with Magic. But yeah, as far as his basketball decisions go and his basketball takes, I was not a big fan of Magic and his moves. Um, what did you think about the about the idea of, you know, of, of keeping Polinka and then Kurt Rambis kind of gaining power in the front? I mean, that's what we're kind of hearing now is Kurt Rambis is gaining front office power and, you know, and, and just uh, Polinka is there too as well still. Like, what did, what did you think of how they handled, uh, how they handled the front office perspective before we get into the whole coaching? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And the subsequent moves after Magic left were Polenka stayed. We were hoping he'd be gone, but he stayed around. <laughs> and, and I think Jeannie, in her world and the way she runs the team, she has a pretty small circle of people that she really trusts. And Rob Polenka is one of them. Kobe Bryant's one of them. Linda Rambis, who's a name that has gotten more attention recently, but has been a name that has been around the franchise and advising in a, a pretty silent role for years. So, so Linda Rambis, what she's done, it hasn't been anything new. She's continued to influence the way that Jeannie Buss looks at the team. Um, but like you said, Kurt Rambis coming into the picture is, I don't know, it, at the at the very highest of levels, it looks wrong on so many levels. It, you've got a nepotism in several ways. Um <laughs> You've got former player, and, and we know that they like to bring back people who used to have a job on the team <laughs> in some capacity and, and put them in a completely different job they're not qualified for. So there's that going on. The fact that he's married to the woman who's been advising Genie for years does not look good at all. Um, he the, A power vacuum was created when Magic left, and with Polinka staying, Rambis, Kurt Rambis definitely has filled that void. I would say he's essentially the director of basketball operations at this point. Um, I don't know exactly what the day-to-day -day work looks like. I think you hit the nail on the head with Magic. He's he's a guy that 
the big pro with him was his aura on you know current players and uh, recruiting future players and that's something that he can still do now without being cut any checks um, and it gives him the freedom to tweet whatever he wants and meet with athletes and help them out and really pursue things he's more interested in because I, honestly I don't think he was interested in that day-to-day work yeah um, I'm not sure if he really knew what he was getting into when he took on the job and actually I mean he had been around a little bit before being officially named the president of basketball operations so he should have known a little bit more of what he was getting himself into from what I've heard loosely sourced from different people I trust in my DMs he really wasn't around all that much um there would go like weeks at a time where he just wouldn't be there um so it, it was very very evident that he was not all that interested in the day to day so with him out Rambus in Rambus doing that work that's again somebody I'm not confident in don't really like his his tenure other than being a player hasn't been good you know as a coach um and it's i don't know it, it was another opportunity for a franchise that has tons of money no salary cap for front office positions or coaching positions picking somebody that they know from their small circle of people instead of opening up the position to the whole league and likely being able to get people from from well-known names from other teams to jump ship and come join the Lakers and they blew that opportunity the same way they've they've blown that opportunity multiple times in the past and again just brought somebody back from already in the family it's yeah. it's bad process it may work out it hasn't looked like it's worked out so far um and i'm sure we'll get to that in like 30 seconds but it just does not look good and it doesn't make me feel good about the future it's not just that you know they messed up but you know i think they're all right they'll figure it out they've messed up i don't think they deserve to be there they've given us no indication that they're they're competent in any way and his involvement with i mean obviously his wife has been a big part of this franchise through that silent consulting role. So I'm assuming he's not really bringing in a new diverse perspective. It's probably a lot of the same sort of thinking. And, and we've seen that play out with what's happened since he, he came on. Yeah, very, very true. You know, I, I one thing I, I do want to shift, uh, I do want to do before we shift to the, the coaching uh, part of it is just the whole front office, because remember there was the rumors right away like, oh, you know, they should... And it wasn't really from the Lakers. It was always from outsiders just being like, you're the Lakers. Why don't you go for Jacob, uh, for, for Jacob, you know, the Golden State Warriors and, you know, go for uh, go for all these big execs. Maybe see if Daryl Morey would consider leaving, if Masai Ujiri would consider leaving, something like that. And the Lakers seem to have not done that. So do you think that the, the kind of front office they have, because I was always expecting some type of hire. Whereas now we're just kind of getting reports like, oh, this person is kind of appearing within the organization. There's no real kind of, like you said, confirmed titles or anything at the moment. Do you think that the front office Lakers has now is the one that they're going to stay with? Or do you think that they're still kind of fleshing out the the front office? In terms of the major players, I think they're about set at this point. They're going to fill the magic Johnson void with Kurt Rambis. They still have their GM. He's not going anywhere. They have the same owner. They, I mean, Linda Rambis is still doing what she's been doing for years. So in terms of the, the major key players, we subbed one out and, and put one back in. So I think at this point in time, they're satisfied with that. Um, and, you know, we've heard a lot of, 
like you said, external people saying, you know, they could go get like a, or, or Ujiri or these different people, they could pursue some help and they haven't. And I really don't think they will. The, there are a lot of brilliant owners in the NBA who are able to purchase, you know, teams that cost billions of dollars because they've been incredibly successful with their businesses and they've been cutthroat in competitive environments and made all kinds of smart decisions. There are some who, who haven't really done that as much, and I don't really want to talk about that today, but there are <laughs> some teams that may be selling in the near future. Um, we'll see how things go. Um, and then there are some like the Lakers who they inherited the team from their dad. Um, and the, Jeannie Buss's qualification is her dad was the owner of the team, and, and now she is the owner of the team. And, and I mean, their whole ownership group, but she's in charge right now. So this isn't somebody who has really worked their way up to the top. This isn't a coach who fought through the ranks in high school and in college all the way up to the NBA and were questioning their abilities. This is somebody who skipped the whole line, was, was pretty much born into this. Um, and I mean, you can look at different monarchies throughout history and there will be times where, you know, it's a luck of the draw thing with how good your kid can be at running a kingdom or a franchise. We're, we're seeing what that's looking like right now when they're not understanding or embracing the fact that there are things that they don't know and they need to go out and find people who are the best at what they do. Perhaps, perhaps they don't individually know them, personally know them, but you have to be able to trust really brilliant people that you can pay a lot of money who have been successful everywhere else to come help you out and they just haven't been able to extend that trust beyond anyone they know already yeah that's that's a good way of putting it with with Jeannie bus i think that perfectly sums up her tenures that she has her circle that she trusts and she has all the resources in the world um to to kind of go out there and get anybody but she's she's choosing the people that she trusts and you talk about just growing up in the laker culture one of the things that zach lowe has said that's really interesting is you know he's talking about how he's interviewed Jeannie Buss and he likes Jeannie Buss as a person, but he's talked about how she has uh, such a strong, uh, I guess you could say, blind eye for the Laker for Lakers uh, for the Lakers organization and players and just ex employees and all that, which is all the stuff we've been talking about. Like he had this, uh, he said he had this one quote where it was Kobe in year either I think it was his second to last year. And uh, he was just he, he just ran into her and he was talking to her about, you know, oh, you know, it's it's about training camp time. You know, what do you think of the Lakers this year? And she's like, well, as long as we have Kobe, we're always contenders. And this was like after I think this was after he blew his Achilles, Achilles or the year he did blow his Achilles. Um, one of one of those two years. So the very, very twilight of Kobe's career. And yet, you know, and yet she's still looking at this Lakers as contenders. And he said that's been kind of a, a, a line from her that has always stuck with him when he thinks of her and her kind of decisions, you know? Yeah, that's neat. I, I don't think I'd heard that before, but that, that sounds about right. I mean, Jeannie is a very good people person. Yeah. And you will be hard-pressed to find people who don't like Jeannie, who have worked with her. She is well-liked by the other people she works with former people she works with but I mean just as that story is alluding to she doesn't really know the basketball side as well and she's in a position where this organization that she's running that she loves so much has been such a big part of her life her family's life her her 
um, her late father's life, she wants it to succeed and she wants to give it all she can. And I think that is manifested by her not knowing the basketball side, but deciding that she's only going to trust this thing that means so much to her with people that have been part of that life already. And she has developed a really strong relationship with. So that's, that's why we see Rob Palenka being able to make all these basketball decisions. He, I mean, he's the basketball guy and yeah. he's a former agent. We've, we've heard stories about how other executives don't like working with him. They'll call Genie instead. They would call Magic instead. They'll call the other bus siblings instead. He's not a, a good person for his role. He wasn't qualified when he went into the role. And, and I mean, I've seen people make arguments that he's in the role because of a favor for Kobe or just the fact of he had that association with somebody that Jeannie holds so dear. Right. Um, it's, it's people putting people in positions who they trust, but really probably shouldn't be there. And as somebody who a big part of my job is, is interviewing, hiring people, trying to put people in the, the right positions to, to succeed and doing it at the executive level. It's so blatantly obvious how poor this organization is at handling executive uh, recruitment and selection. And it's so impactful. If they were a regular business, they probably would have run it into the ground at this point. Um, but, but even if, if your team can't compete and, and they have the worst record over, what is it, the past four or five seasons, they're tied with the Knicks for the worst record, it doesn't matter. They're still making money. So until things change at the top, and there are no signs that that will happen. This this may very well continue, and we'll see bad decision after bad decision. And we just need to luck into some some good things happening as Laker fans. All right. On a lighter note, you guys got a coach now. <laughs> we, we do. Yes. Yes. We we got the uh, the headliner from the article that I wrote about all the different uh, different coaching options. <laughs> Broke it down. You know, it's like eleven thousand words, and the Lakers picked the guy who uh, headlined the. Cran just wouldn't be happy category. So, oh, um, I mean, I think that sums it up pretty well. But we got Frank Vogel. Oh, we skipped Ty Lue. Yeah, um, what, happ- what happened there? And that's what I wanted to get to before Frank Vogel. Real quickly, <laughs> what what the hell happened? Because I honestly, I've heard so many things. What what have you heard that happened with Ty Lue and how that fell apart? So, I would, I, I would put it like this. Ty Lue really wanted to be the Lakers coach. They wanted him to be their coach. Uh, we've heard different reports about if, uh, you know, some of the people within the organization, I, I think at this point it's, it's become clear that the, the Rambi, as they call them, the two Rambuses, they were more in favor of Monty Williams than uh, Ty Lue. And there were people within the organization thinking, all right, well, if we wait for Monty to be signed first, then we can go get Lou and it won't look as much like LeBron's running the team. That was something reported. I don't know if that's fact or not. But, but, but that was something. They, they did want to offer Ty Lue the spot. They chose Ty Lue. They went to negotiate with him. Um, they mandated that he put uh, Frank Vogel on his staff uh, as the associate head coach, presumably running the defense, which I would be perfectly comfortable with. Ty Lue seemed okay with. They wanted uh, Jason Kidd on the staff, who we can talk about in a little bit. Not, not a great person, not a good basketball person, not somebody you would want forced on your staff not somebody who has the background um, professionally or personally that you would want standing a couple feet behind you with a knife in his hand. Um, <laughs> and, and Ty Lue was willing to allow that to happen, to take this job. And, and then the franchise offered him a three-year deal. 
Uh, and it's standard practice now in the NBA to offer five years. Coach after coach gets five years. Uh, John Beeline just got five years like yesterday. Um, so for a coach who has won a championship, has been to the finals as many times as he has, I mean, I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't think he's a great coach. He's a good coach. Um, he has the pedigree of a great coach and he certainly felt he was an entitled, I don't want to say entitled cause that I don't want to paint Lou in, in a bad light. I think he was certainly entitled to getting five years cause that's the standard. That's the norm. Yeah. Um, so that was really the, the final straw. Um, I, I'm surprised some of the other things weren't the reasons why he said no, but he was cool with Vogel. He was cool with Jason Kidd. Um, cool maybe not be the, the right word. He, he was tolerant of those decisions. Um, but it was the, the three-year thing that really caused him to not take the job. And we have to consider he's probably, among all of the available retread coaches, he's probably up at the top of that list for, you know, if Brett Brown were to get fired, and, and he's not going to be. Um, but if, if somebody were get, to get fired and an opening were to arise, Lou would be on a short list. So mm-hmm. it's not like he needed the job. He's also still currently getting paid by Cleveland. So again, he doesn't need the job. So the Lakers really, really botched it. Um, they approached it as if they had all the leverage because there were no other openings um, or, or no other openings they thought he would be considered for. And that just was not the case. So this is a Rob Palenka screwed it up, doesn't know how to do the job because he hasn't done the job before. And everybody he's working with also hasn't been in their positions before. So it's, uh, it's rough. That that's a that's a layup right there that they missed. Yeah, and you know that kind of speaks to the power when when you explained it to me. That kind of speaks to the power dynamic that we talked about with the whole front office, right? About how there's there's this power vacuum and everybody wants control. It seems like they they're like, okay, we want Ty Lue, but we don't want the world to think that this is a LeBron decision. We want it to think it's our decision. So therefore. You have to have this person, this person, that person on your staff. And, like, they started to control all the things. And we'll give you a three-year deal instead of a five-year. And, you know, right? It, that That's kind of what, what you're getting at, right? That it was that it, that it was along the lines of, uh, of, like, the Lakers trying to flex muscle or power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And, and I don't know if the three or five years had to do with LeBron at all. Um, the Lakers... I mean, that, that three-year timeline would line up pretty well with how long the Lakers would have LeBron. Right. Um, if, but honestly, two extra years, I mean, they could still fire him at any point if they, if they really needed to. It was really maybe, what, a $10 million, $8 million difference overall. Mm-hmm. So going from that to having to hire somebody who you initially thought was only worthy of being uh, an assistant coach, he wasn't even part of your head coach search, is a huge drop-off. Um, so I, I just don't think they considered the risks and implications of how they were approaching the situation. And that's, that seems to be a trend. They'll, they'll find a player or they'll find a coach or, or they'll find a concept that they'll hang on to and say, oh, well, you know, we want to get playmakers and, and that's good. But they don't consider all of the other things about the players. They'll, they'll focus in on one aspect and not consider the other risks and implications. And I think that's what happened here. And uh, man, it's the, the decisions makers are not in good places. I would feel much more com- comfortable, honestly, if Magic had stuck around and Polenka were replaced by a Joe Lacob or, or somebody who could run those day-to-day things very, very well and be able to stand up to Magic just a little bit. Um, 
and then have Magic try to be that recruiter and maybe be part of some of the bigger picture things. But right now, we replaced the bigger picture guy with with Kurt Rambis, and we're fumbling the ball on really, really easy layups and simple things like that. So it, it things don't bode well for the Lakers. I'm not trying to say that I want Magic back. Um, but if, <laughs> if, if at least one of those two positions were filled with somebody competent, I'd feel much, much better about the franchise. Very true. Uh, so we end up with Frank Vogel now. And Frank Vogel, who was originally, like you said, looked at as an assistant to Ty Lue. Um, Kid also seemed like he was supposed to be an assistant to Ty Lue. Uh, and, and then now he's an assistant to Frank Vogel. So there's a strong Kid affinity. Like you said, Vogel signed a three-year contract that Lou did not. Um, that that Lou did not. And, you know, this is, this is just so messy to me, man. Because it seems like... I, I've liked Frank Vogel as a coach. Like, I liked him when he was in his Indiana days. I thought, wow, this guy's good. But over the last couple of years, I've seen to say, like, okay, like, he's a good defensive coach. He's a poor offensive coach. Um, you know, I think he's a guy who, like you said, could be a defensive guru type, like a, like Tom Thibodeau was for the Boston Celtics in 2000, in, in the 2000s with Doc Rivers. Right, like some some role like that, I think I don't I I don't have him as a as a head coach caliber uh, as a head coach caliber coach anymore. Like I see him, I mean, just look at his last two stops. Right, he had he left Indiana with for Nate McMillan. They end up going to the they end up going to the playoffs and being better, even though they traded Paul George, their best player. Then he goes to Orlando and he leaves Orlando. And they're in the playoffs uh, first year with Steve Clifford. So he doesn't have a good track record uh, of, uh, of how he leaves things and, and where, where the teams go after that. And then the whole kid thing, man. Like, honestly, if I, were to, if I were to ask you, if I were to ask you in the 2020 trade deadline, the 2020 trade deadline, is Vogel still the coach? It, or is kid or is Jason Kidd the coach? That's not a crazy question. I think as of right now, I, I saw there were odds up, and I think it was minus six hundred that Vogel was the coach, and plus six hundred that Jason Kidd was the coach, and then I think plus seven hundred for Tyloo, and plus eleven hundred for literally anybody else. Um, <laughs> and I, if I had to rank those candidates, I'd say I'd put literally everybody else up first. Um, and then probably Ty Lue, Frank Vogel, and, and then Jason Kidd is, is what I would hope would happen. What I think will happen is probably, I don't know, I, I think the odds for Kidd are higher than, than that would indicate. Um, I don't know. I, I, the Lakers are going to be in a bad place if, if Jason Kidd is just trying to backstab Frank Vogel for three years straight. I, I, yeah. What I'm thinking is his nonsense will, especially with this front office, either it's going to work, and the Lakers are going to go through a rough patch at some point, and Vogel's going to be gone and replaced by Kid, or they're going to realize that this guy who's been a cancer for pretty much every organization he's ever played or coached for, um, <laughs> he's fought with people, gotten people fired, led mutinies, uh, stabbed people he's worked with in the back, tried to make power plays, and that's just the professional side. On, on his personal side, he's got a <laughs> yeah. criminal history as well. Um, right. It, either it's going to work for him or I think they're going to figure it out and he's going to be fired in the first year though that's those are the two most likely scenarios in my mind because um, I don't see how somebody like that if he if he really is going to be pursuing that head coach job constantly 
that's that's going to come out. It's going to be pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, so especially in LA, exactly with all that media, there's no way he that whole thing stays under wraps. Precisely, and even if he isn't, <laughs> that's probably going to be some of the media too. Right. So <laughs> this will be a story one way or the other. If somehow he has gotten it together and he's really cleaned up his act, then. Uh, I guess he's he's not a huge risk, but he's also somebody who I don't think brings a whole lot to the table as a coach. Um, schematically, there's nothing I would be proud of uh, from a player development standpoint. A lot, pretty much every Milwaukee Bucks uh, fan or analyst that you can talk to will, will talk about how all the poor decisions he's made to try to stunt people's growth and telling uh, Giannis to stop shooting threes and all kinds of different things. Um, the player development data that we have at my site indicates that he, he is a decent offensive player development coach in specific areas. And the way I would read that is his staff was good at those things. One person doesn't like, you can't, you can't take, um, the the person, the person supervising a team of people and assume that they'll be able to replicate the same results. He may have been supervising that team of player development coaches, but those player de- development coaches were the ones that every day were coming up with the plans and executing those with players. So I, I don't know if attributing all of the highlights of that directly to one person, um, especially yeah. somebody who, who wasn't really acting it out is smart. So I don't, I don't see the upside with kid. The downside is very clear. Um, in, in, I mean, the best case scenarios are he goes after a mutiny and, and is kicked out of town or somehow he's just completely changed from the person we know him to be. <laughs> neither one sounds like uh sounds like likely scenarios at this point it's it's gonna be rough that's gonna be an ongoing story for yeah months and months and months on top of the whole just stories that lebron brings having lebron james man this is really you know i i, I got last year i got that the lakers were a mess with magic palinka you know the all of that but i mean honestly it seems like I thought I thought it was exaggerated to a sense because it's the Lakers. I did not think it was this chaotic, but now this offseason has proved that it is it is totally chaotic, man. Like I have no clue what they're going to do come this offseason and what this team is going to look like and how just how everything's going to to function within this Lakers organization. Like honestly, do you think do you think that LeBron James looks at this, looks at the Lakers in this maybe this time next summer and says, "I I can't do this. I can't I can't spend my twilight years here with something this dysfunctional." Like I went to Cleveland for crying out loud, and I dealt with plenty of dysfunction there, but this is a whole nother level. Like, what do you, what do you think about that? Uh, I would think that I, I don't know. I don't see that happening. I think if he is unhappy, there will be other moves to take place before he demands a trade. Um, and if he is leaning in that direction, he can go to Jeannie Buss and say, I want out. And she'll say, who do you want out instead? And yeah. He can probably get whoever he wants fired, fired. Um, because if he leaves, this franchise is in really, really poor shape. They're in bad shape right now, but they have that icon. And if he leaves and, you know, like Kawhi comes to the Clippers or something, I would not be at all surprised if you have just just truckloads of Laker fans deciding that they're going to be Clipper fans instead. 
I think that's a real possibility that could happen if they just that would be the final straw, just complete dysfunction, because then at that point, you're not really hanging on to all that much for most casual fans. So it's I hope he doesn't ask for a trade. I don't think he will. I think we'll see other dominoes fall before that. And I think the fact that he came to the, the organization at, at a time he did when realistically from a basketball standpoint, they weren't in that great of shape says a little bit about his motivations in making that initial decision. Right. And it, it seems like there are strong indicators that, you know, Hollywood itself and, and LeBron on the business side was a big part of this as well. So as long as that's still there, I think that that bodes well for the Lakers. Um, but they just cannot keep making poor decisions and giving him opportunities seemingly every time they do anything uh, to, to try to ask to get out of town. All right, man. There you have it. The Lakers, the, the, the soap opera that continues. Um, let's real quickly before you get out of here, man, let's, let's do, let's do a little bit of a quick hit on each series. Um, so we got Portland, we got Portland, Golden State, Milwaukee, Toronto. Uh, we'll start with whatever one's more interesting to you. Which one is more interesting to you? I'd say the Eastern Conference final is more interesting. I think Toronto, Milwaukee, and, and actually, I mean, I, our, our models, I won't say I, but our models don't think either of the underdogs have a great chance. Um, I think Toronto has a better chance than Portland does. Um I mean, obviously contingent upon how long Kevin Durant is out, but I'm really intrigued to see what Toronto can do and if they can put it together. Because on paper, they've they've got a, so many great pieces, and it's really depressing to think about because, I mean, they've got Kyle Lowry, Marcus Saul, Sergi Baca, Kawhi Leonard, right? and they've got this great bench, and they've got Danny Green, and all of these players that are so much more, they're such a more complete team than anywhere close to where the Lakers are today. And they still may very well lose in five games to Milwaukee. And that is just scares the hell out of me because it just tells yeah. me how far away my team is. Um, yeah, very, very true. But, you know, I, I got to push back on the bench because I'm with you. I thought it was totally complete. But, man, this playoff series has proved, no, it's not complete at all. Like, like this team is this team is struggling. That bench is horrific for them. Marcus Gasol has turned into kind of a shell of himself, especially offensively. Um, you know, like like all of the supporting cast, Fred Van Fleet hasn't really had any moments outside of the Orlando series. So it's like so it's like OG Ananobi's hurt. By the way, is he supposed to come back this series? I do not know. Let me Google I, it. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um I I heard that there was rumblings that he could be back sometime in the second round and the fact that that went seven and he still didn't come back, I don't know if that was because his rehab got pushed back or if there was some type of um or if it, that was just a misdiagnosis from the jump. Mm-hmm. So that's apparently a, that's he's a, a, a week away from ramping it up. Is okay, what I'm so, seeing the most most uh, the most. So report. he's looking at he's looking at a five game five six or seven if it goes that deep. Mm-hmm. Probably. Okay. Okay. Because he's he's a big he's a big player, uh, especially in this series with with Giannis. My thing with my thing with Toronto Milwaukee is that. Kawhi has to do so much for Toronto offensively, and obviously you're going to have to put him on Giannis as much as he can handle. But how much, how how much of the game can he actually spend on Giannis with while carrying the load that he's carrying? I don't think it's that much, right? I 
I'm interested to see how it plays out or how they try to approach it in game one, because like you're saying, I don't think he'll be able to, I don't think anybody will be able to do what he's been doing offensively and then try to contain Giannis on defense for, (laughs) for 48 minutes. Um, Yeah. I think they're going to push him to his absolute limit. And if he, if he goes out there and gets in foul trouble, they're just, they're in big, big trouble. They're going to lose whatever game that is. Um, so seeing how exactly the matchups play out will be interesting. I think Ananobi is an interesting X factor if he were to come back, uh, because I am not a huge fan of like Serge Ibaka trying to guard Giannis. Um, yeah. They'll throw Pascal, I imagine, too. But Pascal, yeah. Serge... Maybe even I, they'll try not to throw Mark, but Mark will probably get switched on him a couple times, and he'll try to just physical him. But yep, yeah, I I love I still love those matchups for Milwaukee. So yeah. I, it's it's Toronto's not in great shape, and maybe my perspective is different as somebody who's been looking at numbers throughout the whole year and really resetting my expectations as the season went along. But just like you're saying, Marcus All is not. The the Marcus Saul with the reputation of Marcus Saul, he is still a very good defender, um, both on the interior and then on the perimeter for big. He's a very good defender still. He is just an absolute shell of himself offensively, yeah. and he's been like that all year. That's that's not a new thing. He won't uh, even shoot anymore or go on the block. Yep, he's he's not trying to score, and that hurts them. When he's when yeah. they have guys passing up open threes, it does not. It, it's it's a, such a tough thing for your offense. You work so hard to get open shots, and yeah. when those guys are passing them up, it's not good. And one thing I will say is Milwaukee has been known to be one of the teams that will be very purposeful about who they give up open shots to. So you may see some open threes, or you might see data floating around on Twitter. Oh well, Toronto had this many open threes they just didn't make them and that's because milwaukee's allowing the right people to be open if if they do need to give something up they're gonna let a bad shooter take a shot and and make bad shooters beat them so i'd be prepared to see that um another guy i think is worth mentioning is kyle lowry who in our data has just taken a huge drop off this season not not just in the playoffs but for the for the season as a whole he just is not the same guy that he has been um in i mean the team's performing well it's really easy to just point and say oh well you know Kawhi's over there there are different people to take the shots or he just doesn't have as much opportunity anymore but in fact his efficiency in a lot of different areas has dropped his uh talent grades that we have a b-ball index have all taken a dip in a lot of different areas um and it's it's really coming out this these playoffs when they have other guys who just can't score and you need to be able to have Lowry go out there and pick up some of the slack. Kawhi can't do everything. Yeah, and, he and definitely he's, can. Yeah, it, so Lowry still has something left, but he's nowhere close to the offensive player he was last year, and and that's hurt them. Gasol isn't a good offensive player anymore, and that's hurt them. It's really going to come down to Siakam and and Kawhi to just carry a huge load and. Those are probably the two guys defensively as well that are going to need to really, really lock down Giannis. Yeah, or or at least try. And a crazy thing that I that I've known, Giannis is only playing thirty one minutes per game in the postseason. Um, that's you wild. Know, yeah, that's really wild. How much they've been dominating, how little he's been playing. I mean, he can easily play. I mean, because he looks total. I mean, he's he seems totally in shape. Like 
he can play a 40 a 40 plus minute game right like probably and and they just what took a week off so yeah Milwaukee's Milwaukee has to be fresh Giannis in particular has to be so much more fresh than like Kawhi or Siakam or those other uh Toronto players are going into this series so I don't know I I can easily see this going five games yeah in, in Milwaukee's favor that's and where I'm at too if Lowry can't step up and be not just be you know, it's not like he's been bad during the playoffs and we want him to be regular season uh, Kyle Lowry. He needs to be last year Kyle Lowry or the year before that Kyle Lowry. <laughs> right. So, so I don't know how likely that is. Marcus all probably isn't going to turn back the time, turn back the clock and suddenly become who he used to be. Uh, Fred Van Vliet is a guy who that's somebody where I think we may see some positive regression because he has severely underperformed what he was just during the regular season. So there may be some variance or unluckiness there. So that might be a boost that they should be expecting, hopefully. Um, who knows? Maybe he'll continue to, to play poorly and, and shoot poorly. But if they can get him to play well, Danny Green's going to have to have a huge series. Um, I don't know. It's Everything has to go right. I mean, the, Bucks have, right. the Bucks have dusted off George Hill, and somehow he's like he's like a next level. He's averaging like 18 a game over the last couple games. Like. And they just and, dusted and him off the back. bench. And Brogdon's yeah. is back now. And he had a whole week to rest after playing. So so mm-hmm. I'm sure they've been practicing for a week, getting him back in the flow. You know, because that's to me always the biggest thing is a player is incorporating a rotation player back in the middle of the playoffs, just how that affects the flow of the team. And so this whole week is probably giving them plenty of time to kind of, okay, let me get that feel back for having Malcolm Brogdon, who I think is their second best player. He is he's very, very good. I don't think people realize how good he is. I think yeah. people over the next week or two are going to figure that out. Um, and, and like you're saying, hopefully they've had some time to get him back in the rhythm of things. And, you know, in between games, you're not really practicing all that much or no, no like real practice. But over the past week, I'm sure they've gotten some actual run in. Right. Yeah. Um, so I feel better about him coming back after them only playing a five-game series than if they were playing just a couple days ago and they didn't have that time to acclimate him back into the group. So, yeah, Brett Brogdon is very good. Be on the lookout for that. Uh, Bledsoe is is excellent. George Hill is very, very good at what he does. He's still an excellent perimeter defender. They, <laughs> and, and I mean, I don't know how to rank analytics staffs on different teams, but there are a lot of guys from Milwaukee that our data data really, really likes. Um, yeah, and I don't think that's by coincidence. Not at all, man. Milwaukee is for real. I I really can't. I really can't wait to see what what they do in the finals. Like that's how excited I am, and that's how confident I am in them in this series with uh with Toronto and Tor- And that's no disrespect. Toronto is a really good team. Like they really are, but it just seems like their 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 rotation and their I mean, Kawhi, it seems like he, he looked around and his whole team got dusted by Thanos. Like, he's just watching Kyle Lowry and Marcus Gasol and all them become shells of themselves in, in real time and just fade away. It's ridiculous. Um, let's jump to Portland and Golden State. Uh, this one, this is a series that they've met, I, I think, three times in the last five years, during the five-year run, right? This is their I, I third no meeting. Idea. I, I believe that could this be true. Their, I think both. Yeah, the other this times, is their third like, meeting. Swept the other two times or lost. Uh, one sweep, one five. Okay. 
So, yeah, so this is our third time meeting in the five years. Portland's obviously never been better, but Golden State is Golden State. KD is out for game one, uh, likely out for game two. He's going to be reevaluated Thursday, which I believe is uh, is the second game. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I don't know how they're reevaluating him through whether it's through like an MRI or or if they just mean or if they just kind of mean like a like a pregame checkup. I don't know. I don't know where they're at in the in the evaluation stage for KD that game. But my guess is that he'll sit out the first two games, especially if Golden State wins game one, which I expect them to do. Um, this has been an incredible season for Portland. I was dead wrong on them. I said <laughs> I was one of the people that was like, I didn't think Portland was going to make the playoffs this year. I was, I thought they were just totally defeated after last year, and Dame, CJ, that whole team proved me entirely wrong, have played fantastic, and all credit to them. I'm really happy for them, but you know, I, I just don't see how they how they do anything against the against the Warriors. Uh, the one thing I'm I'm excited to see is Zach Collins because I I've Zach Collins has been amazing. Yeah, he's an exciting guy. He's somebody who, when when he was drafted, you can see the potential. And if you if you watch his college tape, it's you know he's a very talented guy that can do a lot of different things. But it was so obvious that obvious that from a, a physical standpoint, he just was not prepared for the league yet. And he's he's taken some time. He's filled out a little bit. Um, he's able to to legitimately contribute to not just an NBA team, but an NBA team in the conference finals. So yeah. he's somebody that's that'll be fun to watch an X Factor there. Um, we may see a lot of Dame and CJ just trying to roast Curry for 48 minutes. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out because it's not just one guy who will be trying to get on Curry. You can't just, you know, flip your, your matchup and have Clay guard somebody else. Either of those two Portland guys can go off at any time. Both of them score a ton every game, um, so you can't really hide Curry against this team unless they decide to put him on like Mo Harkless or something like that. Um, I don't know. It's it's another one that should be quick, should be five, maybe six, depends on KD's health. Um, but Portland's a fun team to root for. It's, they it's are. I was not expecting this from them, not this year. Um, I was seriously considering them to be a team that maybe you should just try to blow it up. I, I mean, looking at this team a year or two ago, we were like, well, where, where do you go from here? They had a lot of money tied up. It didn't look like they were bringing in any great prospects. They had run the, the Dame and CJ thing back several times and hadn't really got much out of it. Um, and, and even this postseason, after having Nurkic go down, I, that did not, I was not expecting them to do what they did. I mean, our not models had, we, we were able to, Wow, win some bets with them winning that last series. We we felt good about them going into the series against um, was it Denver they just beat? Yeah, Denver. Yeah, um, but we were not very uh, bullish on them in this series. Yeah, def- definitely not. And uh, I just got an update as we're recording this. Uh, we're recording this right before uh, right before the start of the draft lottery, and obviously tonight is game one. Uh, Rodney Hood is available for game one. Oh, excellent. Okay. So he, uh, so that helps because he's been fantastic. He's been very good. He's uh, really disappointingly so for me because he was one of the people on my uh, – he was one of the under-the-radar dudes on my uh, Lakers free agent target <laughs> list. So him just completely going off kind of blows that out of the water. Um, 
but yeah, he's he's been excellent. I really like him. I think he's a good yeah. player. I think so too, man. I think he's somebody who, if he's in the right environment, he's just he's just a baller. He's streaky, but he's a baller, and you just got to give him a consistent opportunity. And I think with that, he he gets. I think he's one of those players that you see around the league that just has to be comfortable in order to be great. Like they can't they can't be one of those players that. You know, I I go from backup po- point guard or backup shooting guard or whatever to bet to not playing. You know, like in and out yeah, of the rotation. You he need can't to give be him one minutes. of those guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And and throughout his entire career, he's been a good defender, and he's been an elite one on one player. It that's just that's not a new thing. He's been good at that. Um, yeah. Maybe elite's not the right word, but he's he's that is an asset of his, and we're seeing that play out on a playoff stage. And if he can shoot well, like he's shooting this year, that's a very attractive player for teams uh he'll be a, an unrestricted free agent this offseason so keep an eye on him um pistons <laughs> we'll see dude we need all the shooting we can get man and all the and all the ball handling we can get so you rodney hood seth curry everything all the everything man yeah. everything but a center it was it was cool to see the, the team make the playoffs though that, that impressed me i was not expecting that and it was a sh- real shame that uh, blake griffin was injured Man, I I'll tell you what, I was at game three and dude, Blake Griffin had the most heart I've ever seen a player have in person. He wanted he that leg brace, I don't know if you watched those games, but that leg brace was at least fifteen pounds. And this man was still getting up in the air and doing Blake things. It was absolutely incredible. And then what made it so disappointing, because my, my best friend and I went to the game. And it was so disappointing that Andre Drummond, from the very first play, was mentally checked out. Something happened mm-hmm. with him. Something happened. He had like he had like he he got in foul trouble the whole game. He had like five points in the third quarter. Like it was just it was one of those disgusting Andre Drummond games. And you know he had really turned it around. You know he seemed like he really kind of elevated to a level where he was consistent and and dominating over the last uh, over the last stretch of the season. But then I don't know what happened with him, but he was just mentally checked out. And if they, if he was, if he was there, I mean, the Pistons actually would have had a shot to get a game, and that would have been a cool thing. First playoff game in the in Detroit, that would have mm-hmm. been a cool win. But yeah, yeah that was uh, that was that's, that was tough to see. That's disappointing. There have been a couple guys who I don't know if disappeared is the right word, but they they underperformed in the playoffs, and he was one of them. Clint Capella is one of them that I would yeah. say um, he had a, a game, a really good game or two in that last series, but he was not, he did not create the impact we were anticipating he would have. D'Angelo Russell is another one who, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a little bit overhyped. He wouldn't have been an all-star if, if there weren't several injuries and Jimmy Butler. And in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> yeah, if, if you were in the West, it never would have happened. If Oladipo didn't get hurt, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, didn't someone else get hurt? Wasn't there a second injury? Uh, I think there was. I'm trying right? to figure, I, I can't remember who it is. Yeah, I, I think there were two injuries, right. and then also he was picked over Jimmy Butler, who definitely was, was just jerk. not picked. Yeah, he, he was a jerk. <laughs> so so this would have been like the third alternate for, for the All-Star list. Ended up getting it. I mean, good for him. I love him. I rooted for Brooklyn because of him in that first round. But I, he's, at this point, I think that's kind of furthered the uh, – overrating of D'Angelo Russell as a player. He's he's very much exactly who he was with the Lakers. Same exact skill set. I don't think he's improved all that much. Um, just much higher volume, and there's a different aura around him and, and the team, and it's much more positive, and it's good to see. But, yeah, yeah I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know how I took no. this on a, a Laker team no. again. 
no, that brings this whole podcast full circle, man. So let's close. Let's close with this. So I remember Bill Simmons and a ton of other people I respect the hell out of talking about D'Angelo Russell was uh, was was the greatest Laker asset, and they and they traded him away. Uh, how how do you, how did you feel about that? Because it seems like you're just kind of bullish, and and it's really just D'Angelo needed a situation that was stable. I really liked him as a player. Um... I mean, as you know, a rookie. you think he'd be what he what he was in Brooklyn if, say, the Lakers had the culture the Nets had. I think he is the same guy. I don't think he has really developed all that much. He he was injured for a big part of last year, and I think that kind of stunted the opportunity for him to grow. Um, so I don't think what we're seeing in Brooklyn is any different than what we would have seen if he stayed in LA. Um, I think the culture thing, like you're talking about, is I. It's, I don't know if it's culture as much as he needed some people to, to really just get him in line. Um, and Jerry, Jerry Dudley was one of those people. And perhaps the shock of being traded away helped in some way. But just like the stories that, that you would hear about D'Angelo Russell when he was a Laker player were just, it was just embarrassing, dumb stuff. Like trying to get into nightclubs uh, when he was underage and trying to go through the front door. <laughs> instead of going through the back door like all the other players um just just dumb things like that and it's, it's well good he to still see had a up. dumb one he still had that dumb one with the arizona iced tea you heard about that right yes i did yeah so, so i guess you're right he's, maybe he's not not too too much different you know hiding some some uh, contraband inside of other contrabands <laughs> was not a great strategy so i i mean i wish him the best he when he was with the lakers he was what like 18 19 so i mean you can't yeah, you can't blame him all that much for doing some mostly harmless, dumb stuff. It's not like he's abusing people or assaulting people, um, but like someone know. on your coaching staff, uh, yep. and someone who we just <laughs> released from our coaching staff. So True. I wish him the best. I, I think if he didn't have the right people in his life, it wasn't going to turn around as much as it has. And, and even then, I think he still has a lot of room to grow. Um, so we'll see where it goes. The, the Arizona iced tea thing doesn't have me feeling great about his, <laughs> I don't know if maturity, maybe just like common sense. There, there are certain things that you can do and can't do and things that you can get away with, but just the stories you've heard of are him doing things he can't do and trying to get away with them in really dumb ways. Um, so from that perspective, it doesn't seem like much has changed. No, not much has changed at all. Well, I'm going to let you get going. The draft lottery is about a half an hour. I'm going to try and get this up ASAP. Hopefully it's up before the game. It'll be up probably sometime sometime tonight for sure. But um, I'm going to be rooting for you, man. Uh, the Pistons aren't in the lottery for once, and not that we had lottery luck anyways. You know, it was so bad as a Pistons fan because every year they are like, who deserves to have the number one pick? And it was always Detroit, Detroit, Detroit. And <laughs> yep. that's how you know. That's how you know it's just it's just bad. But right. I'm rooting for you guys in, in L.A., man, because if, if New York gets it, obviously that plays into Anthony Davis. That's the Eastern Conference thing. I don't want LeBron to not be in the playoffs anymore, dude. Get the Lakers the number one pick so they can get Anthony Davis. Yeah, man, that'd be exciting. That'd be crazy. They have such a small chance of, of it happening. Um, it's what four percent, right? It's, I think so. It's something really four point really four, well, it, something it, like that. And also, I mean, who who are the teams we hear about getting the number one pick? We see in the media, oh, if they get it, they'll they'll do this or that. Who are the teams that you think of? 
What do you mean by um, by like who are the teams that if they get the number one pick that they move for Anthony Davis? Either that or just I mean everything that I see is is him with New York because they have the yeah. top odds. But I mean they're they're tied for the top odds and they only have a fourteen percent chance of getting him. Like there's there's just as good a chance he goes to Phoenix or Cleveland, Chicago's right uh, there. Oh no, no Atlanta, Cleveland, no Washington. Cleveland. Like I don't think fans are fully prepared mentally for the level of randomness that we're about to see with how low these odds are for each of the teams. This is the first year, I believe, that the, they really switched the odds around to try to yeah, this uh, is. Yeah, de-incentivize the tanking. And it, it's there's a great chance that he ends up being a Washington Wizard or an Atlanta Hawk tonight. And, and I don't say great chance because they're like 10%, 9%, but there's almost as good of a chance of him ending up on one of those teams as, as the Knicks. Um, yeah, it's it's Knicks versus the field is is it's eighty five percent, right? Like, seriously, yeah, eighty five, eighty six percent. It's yeah, I so it's I mean, obviously we're not gonna make predictions, but there's a really high chance that he ends up on a team that people aren't really talking about um, in in that sort of way. And it would be exciting to see him with Trey Young. I mean, obviously I'm rooting for him to go to the Lakers. Um, him on the the Wizards might help them oh, they don't deserve just it. turn the page yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm moving to dc in, in a couple washington months, so. and cleveland don't deserve it i'm just gonna put that out there yeah. those are dumpster fires man cleveland's those been are dumpster pretty fires. lucky with with these lotteries as well they hit two number ones in a row didn't they yeah for wiggins and then uh and then know, um really anthony bennett <laughs> oh that's right yeah they they don't they and they blew that one so they don't deserve another one they don't deserve another one for the rest of eternity. Yeah. Phoenix and Atlanta, I don't have any like bad yeah. feelings about. Um, Phoenix would just be weird because DeAndre Ayton. That w- right? yeah, that'd be true. I would love to see. I mean, I wouldn't love to see. I would hate this, but <laughs> um, if somehow the Seventy Sixers were able to get him, I don't even. What are their? I think they own somebody's pick. They um, owe they owe Sacramento's pick. So Sacramento goes to Boston if it's anything but one. But if it's one, it goes to Philly. So oh, either way, it it's is. not going to Sacramento. Yeah. If, and Sacramento if, has like the what like the thirteenth thirteenth uh, in the lottery, something like that. Uh, they are fourteenth. Fourteenth in the lottery. Yeah. Last so, place. Yeah. But, so they need the the ultimate jump. <laughs> exactly. But if it were to happen, um, and the Sixers were to get that pick. I would love to see what Zion and Ben Simmons on the floor at the same time looks like. A train wreck. It, it, it could easily be a train wreck. That's the thing. If if not used the right way, it could easily be a train wreck. And Brett Brown has shown so little tactically in, in, de, in deploying Ben Simmons and making the most out of him based on his skill set that two, two of him, or I mean, not, they're obviously not the same player, but two of that same sort of, not either a non-shooter or somebody we're not really feeling good about as a shooter two of them on the floor and then they've got Embiid too so you can't just put like Zion at the five and, and Embiid's not a good three-point shooter either so that could be easily just be a really strange situation where they end up trying to trade somebody um, I don't know Yeah, I'm excited I'm giddy because we just don't know what's going to happen it's not like oh well, there's a 50 and this has so much implications like this is a this is a a franchise altering prospect a maybe even potentially nba altering prospect absolutely right so it's like so it's like this is huge ramifications and it happens the first year that the lottery odds change 
So everything is set. This is going to be something that we're going to look back at for the next decade, 15 years as a pivotal moment, whatever happens tonight. So it's going to be very fun, Tim. Thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I know you've been busy. Uh, that uh, You've been doing fantastic work at, the ba- at your site, Basketball Index, as well as other places. So thank you, Tim. I, I greatly appreciate it. I'll allow you to plug anything you need to plug before you get out of here. Thanks, Chris. Uh, thank you for having me on. I, I guess, yeah, go check out Basketball Index. Um, it's, if, if you just type in uh, Krangis in Twitter, I'll pop up. Um, and, and you can find my site there. Uh, B-Ball Index is, is where you can find all of my work. I usually don't write all that often, especially during the season, but recently I've been on a tear. I wrote a big, long piece about uh, not just for the Lakers, but in general, what are kind of the best hiring practices if you're looking at replacing a coach or a front office person. Um, I wrote a big, long breakdown on 32 different potential head coaches. Um, one of the ones from my top tier, John Bilon, just got hired. Um, Ty, Lou was on there. He almost got hired. Uh, we saw Vogel get hired. <laughs> Kid was all the way at the very bottom. Um, but if if you're a team in need of a coach at any point in the near future, you can look back to that and get some of my full thoughts. Um, if you're a Laker fan, check out my breaking down breaking down Frank Vogel piece. Um, I put that up just two days ago, and I I probably went way too in depth um, <laughs> explaining all of the different things from like pace to the types of alignments, the types of plays he runs, um, which Laker players he best fits with, which ones he doesn't fit as well with, what his strengths are, his weaknesses, how he attacks switches, all kinds of stuff. Um, so if, if you've got like 45 minutes to read an article, I'd check that out. Um, and, you know, follow me on Twitter. Again, Cranjus McBasketball. Um, if, if you type in Cranjus, I'll pop up. Or my handle is Tim, spelled with a one, so it's T1M underscore MBA. Yep. And I recommend totally following Tim because, man, you are, you always throw up some, you're one of the few accounts that I really enjoy because you always throw up these, these random number breakdowns that you get from your site um, that are always just so timely. Like in the middle of a game, I'll see, I'll see all of a sudden a breakdown on this player. And it's just, it's just so incredible, man. It's, it, it always keeps me up to speed. So I, I greatly appreciate you. And I greatly appreciate your Laker expert. Not just your Laker expert, though. The entire NBA, you, you provide great knowledge for me, Tim. So I appreciate it, man. I'm a fan of what you do. Keep do, doing your thing. And uh, we'll have to... We'll have to talk, you know. Maybe, maybe we'll have to we'll have to call back later tonight if the Lakers, <laughs> After the win, Lakers the win the draft lottery, lottery, man. Yeah, you gonna <laughs> you gonna be drunk if if the Lakers <laughs> win the lottery? Oh, we, we shall see. I mean, it is a, what a Tuesday. Um, you should have champagne ready or something. I do have champagne ready. And funny story. Uh, so Chris tried to have me on to podcast maybe what a month or two ago. Um, it was about a month ago when the magic thing happened. Yeah, and I wasn't able to come on because I actually broke my other laptop because I spilled champagne on it. Um, <laughs> and, and so currently I have, I mean, right now, I hope the audio is good because right now we are doing FaceTime audio from my phone with headphones in because uh, I have a, <laughs> the only laptop I have right now is the Surface Go and it, I, I can't set it up with any of my recording stuff. Um, so, so there's my champagne plug. And, and yes, I do have like four bottles up my wine rack so i'm i'm well prepared all right man well best of luck to you since the pisses are not in it i'm rooted for you buddy uh keep up the good work and i'll and i'll be talking to you soon thanks chris